KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. Schools have had to deal with a lot over the last couple of years as the COVID-19 pandemic has rolled on. A lot of folks are anxious for schools to be able to completely get back to how they used to be before the pandemic. But should that be the goal, or is this rather an opportunity here to reimagine the approach to K-12 education? To talk about this, we caught up with Dr. Jeff Rhodes. He is Director of School Improvement Services for NWEA, a nonprofit focused on education. Dr. Rhodes, also a former school district of Philadelphia assistant superintendent. This is interesting stuff. Give a listen. When we talk about K-12 education in the U.S. over the last couple of years, and I know you shouldn't paint with a broad stroke. Every school is different. Every district is different and everything. But when we take a 30,000-foot view overall, how has the education system held up, in your opinion, the last couple of years in the midst of this pandemic? I think it's been challenging. Uh, it's like you said, Matt, I think there's been some pockets of excellence by students and teachers and schools and school districts. And so we don't want to ignore that. But I think as a general overall thread, I think there's a real opportunity for us to educate our students in our country better than what we have done previously. And I think I have little concerns about a national effort to do that. Before we talk about kind of the way forward, and I have a lot of questions I want to ask you about that. Over the last couple of years in the midst of this, what are some things you've seen, you've experienced that we've gotten right and where have we missed the mark? Let's start with the positive. What are some things you think we've gotten right the last couple of years? Well, I, I think some of the things that we've done well is um, the slow but sure recognition that our students' learning is a priority. I think that whether or not there was any ambiguity as to that collective thought, I think has been and been removed. I think there's a collective energy, a sense around uh, we need to do better. That's a positive sense. I think our kids have shown, despite some cases, a lot of resiliency in the face of some of the challenges they've been uh, coping with. I think that we've had many schools and school districts who have uh, made great efforts to rise to the occasion particularly around how we teach our kids. You know, we recognize with the impact of the pandemics we received that our schools were not as necessary as equipped around um, uh, social media and digital learning and technology and things of that nature. And I think the schools have been making great efforts to be responsive. You know, we have financial resources now. Schools have been granted from the national financial resources to address that. That's a positive. So we have the ability to make some of the adjustments we need to do. I think the positives would be that we are aware We all seem to be on the same page. We want to do better. We have resources to help support that. I think we have kids and staff who have capacity and willingness to do so. Uh, So I would see that all those are positives. Uh, You know, before you put a plan into place, you want to make sure you have all that stuff together. And I think we do. So I I would see that as a positive and and any efforts was to move forward and to do things differently. I think that that's a positive in terms of where we position ourselves now. Are there any things you've seen that, you know, the last couple of years that are really haven't been beneficial to anyone. And I kind of exclude the first few months of the pandemic because I think everybody, we were all flying blind and trying to do our best, but kind of once we got our footing back under us, are there things that you've seen that have made you cringe? I'll tell you, I believe candidly that obviously learning is critical, most important thing, but we're also talking about young people who are developing and maturing as human beings as adults. And so I think that one of the things that should be uh, front of mind is the social emotional well-being of our kids. So 
Uh, I've been a little concerned about, I'm hearing conversations around, well, let's get back to instruction, let's focus on achievement, let's focus on that. And I think that's critically important. But, you know, students, if they're not available to learn, they're not going to learn. So things that are front of mind, um, like their social, emotional well-being and and, uh, how they're coping with uh, the reality of some of the impact of of the things we're doing seems to be front of mind to me, should be front. And I've heard a lot of school districts not necessarily prioritize that. They recognize it and they'll talk about it, but they don't prioritize it. And I would say that, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, there's a quote that, you know, until you handle the Maslow, you can't begin to dress the, you know, to boom. You can't begin to bloom. So that's just a reference to, you know, the idea is that listen, you, until you deal with the, the needs hierarchy, right? Some of your basic needs, are kids safe physically, mentally, emotionally? Are they, you know, are they sleep? Uh, are they their meals? What's their sense of well-being? You're not going to be able to get to the cognitive stuff that Bloom talks about. I know that educators know that. I just don't see as much of a conversation around prioritizing that. And so I think there's been, uh, you know, pushing that conversation to say that, you know, we, we need to get to the learning and the instruction. And I understand that and the rigor and that's highly important. But if our kids aren't there, they're literally physically not there. And if they're there physically, but they're not emotionally, mentally not, not there, learning's not going to happen. So let's pivot to looking forward. Rumor yeah. is this pandemic will be over one day. I've every day I, I lose a little <laughs> bit more hope that that's going to happen. I say that tongue in cheek, but, yeah. and I know in reading some of your work that everybody is in a hurry and understandably so to get back to normal, get back to the way things used to be. But I know you look at this as an opportunity, this giant disruption we've had as a chance to kind of reevaluate and let's do things differently, not just do things the way they've always been done because that's the way it's always been done. Give me some examples. If I were to give you carte blanche that you could make changes to the public education system in America, what are some things you would like to see done? Oh, oh, oh. Oh, wow, Matt, that's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll tell you just, all right, so the basics, right? So um, just, I, I, I think that the physical spaces where our kids learn, they should all be modernized. They should all be safe. They should all be uh, up to date in terms of the technology that students are using. What's the current digital software, social things that students need to use in their current learning process that uh, are important for them now as current learners and that they need to be exposed to for their future? So I think that we have a there's a tremendous inequity in that across the country in terms of what schools and school districts have in terms of resources for kids, the buildings that kids are learning in and staff are going to, whether or not they're physically safe, if they're antiquated. So I think modernizing the physical spaces where students spend many of their waking hours, and even if we are doing work from home, again, making sure that districts have the ability to provide um, students with the technology they need and that they know how to use that technology. So I would say that's one piece. The other piece is, um, is uh, how well are we preparing our, our folks to go into education, to prepare our, our teachers and our administrators to be able to prepare kids for their future as opposed to the current reality, or even more so, I dare say, the past. Uh, a lot of times our, um, our preparation programs are not as modernized or antiquated. Uh, we have strategies and approaches that, that, you know, as we think about what the kids need for the future, really aren't, aren't relevant. You know, I, I mentioned earlier that sometimes I feel that we're preparing, you know, kids for our future by, by addressing the way we used to learn in our past. And that's just not going to work. That's just not going to work for kids nowadays. And so. When you look in schools, do they have the resources? Do they have the teachers who are able to use those resources as part of the instructional process? The other piece I think is important when we think about the future for this generation of kids is 
their access to information and to people is is um, much more easily, whether even if it's not physical, the access to information. But I think conversations around digital communities, not just physical communities, but digital communities and what what access do kids have to resources and to people and places that help them to learn and help them develop? Are we creating those? Are, are those available? I tell you, I would invest in technology. I would invest in the infrastructure, the physical structures. I would invest in curriculums that really uh, reflect students' needs. We talk about cultural responsiveness. That's a big conversation today about uh, how well do students um, have a sense of belonging in spaces where they're learning? How much do they feel and recognize a connection and appreciation for who they are and what they bring to the learning process. So I think that the importance of cultural uh, responsiveness and having curriculums that allow for the opportunity for, for students to, uh, for student voice to be heard, for students to be able to learn in a space of who they are and for them to bring their understanding of who they are, their cultural understanding, their racial understanding, et cetera, and so forth, to that learning process is going to be recognized and appreciated. We need to adjust that aspect we need to make sure that the teachers and educators who are in the learning space, that they're being valued. And by that, I mean fiscally. You know, I think that the, 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 the salaries that educators get for the work they have to do is not, uh, is not equal uh, at all. I don't think it's equitable at all. I also think that um, when we talk about value, also there's different ways to show appreciation for people. Monetary is obviously important, but just full recognition, what do they have in terms of supporting their craft? What do they have available to them to support their craft? You know, you often hear a lot of teachers will say, a lot of teachers will unselfishly put their own money, and they barely may not have the resources themselves, spend their own money for their kids. That's not appropriate. That's, that shouldn't be necessary. Um, you know, teachers who barely have money for themselves to pay their mortgage and their rents are spending money for kids because they want to make sure their kids have. That sense of inequity is inappropriate. We shouldn't have that in the country as well off as ours. So I would make sure that there's, uh, the teachers have what they need to do what we need for them to do for our kids and that we wouldn't be um, leaving them uh, under tooled, if you will, uh, and maybe undereducated uh, for the reality of our kids. The bottom line is that there are, our kids have access to information and knowledge information. And so whether or not they have the emotional maturity to, to kind of synthesize and cope with the knowledge they have, the fact that matters, they have the exposure and they have the knowledge. So how prepared are we to, uh, to work with young people in that space? That's a lot different than kids who didn't have access to information. You know, it used to be that, you know, you turn on the TV, you had to go to the library to get this information. You had to get up and go out your house to get this kind of stuff. We got 10, 11, 12-year-olds who can click a button and get access to all different types of information. So that student is, is significantly different than the student from before, you know, who, who had to wait until an adult showed, showed them what this was or explained them what there was or took them somewhere to show them what there was. Now kids can do all that on their own are they ready for all that information? Some are, some may not be. And so how well are we to work with young people who might have a lot of exposure to information, but they haven't processed it. They don't understand the significance of what they, the information they have. How are we helping them to process all that in a positive way so they can make sure that they're positive contribution, uh, they're positive contributors to our society and that they're not feeling overwhelmed or um, uh, or, uh, you know, don't understand the value of the information they got. So I would definitely prepare our teachers, uh, prepare them better to work with the kids, our students of today, and how they're going to be as they're moving forward. They're showing evidence of their society and the world that they're growing up in is different from the world that is currently, nor the, in the world that most of the people have come from. So how prepared are we to prepare them for their future? That's, that's the thing. The infrastructure and the physical places, the buildings, 
you know, no one should have to be in a space that, that's antiquated, that's fallen apart. You know, teaching and learning is a relationship. And so we want to make sure the teachers have skills, but we also make sure that they're listening to the learners because that's the most critical part. So I would focus on a couple of those different things, Matt, on a national level, not just on a state by state level, but on a national level so that all kids have an opportunity to receive the benefits of these efforts and not just I happen to live in a state that's progressive or I happen to live in a district or happen to have been exposed to a superintendent or a teacher or a principal. That sense of inequity impacts all of us. You know, we have kids who have great talent and it never gets to be actualized because maybe they happen to live in a place where they don't have an opportunity to have the adults around them to help support and actualize their ability. That shouldn't be the case for our kids. All of our students in our nations, uh, in our country should have an opportunity to reach their potential and, and to access their potential. And, and I think we have the capacity to do that. I think we have the capacity to do that. I'm just not hearing a strategy to do it. I haven't heard a strategy or a plan on the national level to implement this, but I think we have the capacity to. We have this constant political fight when it comes to schools of local control, national. How big a hurdle is that in a situation like this where you want to try to smooth out these inequities, give everybody the same tools? I would imagine you would get a lot of pushback that of course. locally we want to do what we do and the national can't tell us they don't know our town, our people. That would seem to be a very high hurdle to climb. I would agree. You know, my question would be for folks is, OK, so let's look at how we have been doing things and let's ask ourselves as a country has it been working well for our kids. So the current model has that been working well for our kids, we look across our country and we look at the quality of students who are graduating from our K-12 schools and the future that we're bringing forward. Let's ask our colleges and our universities. Right. So are we doing have has what we've been doing been allowing us to produce our best? And if it hasn't, and if we can collectively agree that it hasn't, and I would argue that, like I said before, with the exception of some spaces, some pockets of excellence, I think there's enough inconsistency and enough and irritability that we should come back and have a national conversation about, okay, this is how we have been doing it. Let's at least have a conversation about, are, is this working well? And if not, maybe we should have a talk about what we want to do differently. I don't want to necessarily pinhole us and say that it has to be you know, this national federal thing. But I just know that when I look at, I've been in education for 30 years. But when I look at myself as a student, and then when I look at my experience as an educator, and I look at how I've worked with people working hard to do the best they can in the space they're in, some of the things I mentioned, you have been issues, uh, encumbrances around that. I have had the opportunity to be, be an educator in different states. I have seen the variability. I would push and argue and say that we're in a space right now, the pandemics that we have been impacted by and what we're still in should force us to go back and say, let's reassess, let's reevaluate, let's reassess, let's have a conversation and let's talk about are we are we pleased about where we are? Are we ready to move forward into the future doing those same things continuously? Do we feel that doing the same thing that we have been doing will get us different results in the future? I think that's been coined so as a definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And I just think we're in a space right now that the conversation about maybe doing things differently needs to happen on a national level. What would that look like? I wouldn't necessarily, you know, pin us down to say, but um, I would argue that what we have been doing has not been beneficial to all of our kids. 
And there have been kids who've been left out of the educational process, uh, who have, and, and inclusivity is perhaps the most important thing in public school education. And I don't know if we've been able to do that. I don't think we've been equitable. Um, I think there have been um, many young people who have been not as fully as engaged and they should have been. So I would think it's worth the conversation. Matt. I think it's worth the conversation on a national level to come up with a national strategy and, and then figure out how to implement that so that you know, students going from state to state aren't being deprived quality of education because they went from one state to another. Uh, and sometimes, Matt, these states are right next to each other. Sometimes mm -hmm. they're neighboring each other. And so the move for a family to go across a bridge from one state to another is an easy move. But the impact on that student in terms of the quality of education, that's a concern. That's a strong concern. I'm curious if you have any thoughts. Are we getting the school day right? I've heard a lot of people talk about that, you know, some places start 7, 730 and kids aren't getting enough sleep. This is another area where it feels like we've kind of always done it this way, so we continue to do it. Are we getting it right? Or is there room to move here? I think there's definitely room to move. I, you know, when we talk about reimagining education, uh, we're talking about all facets of it. So we're talking about when students learn, how students learn, where they learn, what they learn. All those elements need to be part of the conversation to reimagine a more effective education system for our kids. And so, talk thinking about when they're learning, what they're learning, how much they need to learn. I mean, there are different cultures in the world that, you know, you know, students, they may learn, they may have more hours in the learning process, but what those hours look like kind of vary. And so the variation is beneficial to the kids. So it may not be, uh, that may be a factor. You know, there's a conversation, not just about the day, Matt, but about the year. The people don't realize that we have a, a school schedule that's based upon an agrarian system. When was the last time <laughs> <laughs> that you've been aware we've been an agrarian, an agrarian. You know, I mean, we've gone through different types of systems in that time frame. yet our kids, their future is a digital world. So they're still being educated on an agrarian system. So when we talk about the calendar and we talk about the day, is that most advantageous? And also when we talk about how young people develop, when we think about adolescent development, do we adjust? You know, there are schools some public school systems, obviously, clearly some independent schools that have a little bit more latitude, who stagger their times for when students come. The day is longer, but it's, it's not longer for an individual student. It's just longer for the adults, but they vary. They have that sort of flexibility. I would like to know, what's the data from that? You know, how are they finding that? How are students learning in those types of environments? Is it different? Um, is it worth consideration? It's a wondering, I would say, that maybe we, again, if we're having that conversation to reimagine education, that should be on the table. Because think about it for us as adults, right? We as adults would clearly say that some of us are night owls and some of us are this and some of us are that. And so guess what? As adults, some of us can choose to work at different times. Well, young people don't have that latitude. School is when school is, right? So they don't have the variability that adult can select. I can get a night job if I'm a night owl. I can work, but to such. School is this. And so how do we support our kids to, to be able to, again, maximize all that they can be and all they can bring to the table by adjusting things to meet their needs as opposed to our own comfort, our own creature comforts? You know, I had a conversation with a parent the other day about the calendar and, you know, the conversation was, oh, you know, we're our family vacations in summer and we can't do such and such and such. And I listened and I thought that's, that's, a, that's an important point. That is a salient issue 
for many schools. But, you know, there are some kids who never get a summer vacation, right? They're not planning for a family getaway, right? And so the variation of that is interesting. Yet their summers go through and there's no opportunity to maintain what they've learned on the school year to enhance it or anything at all. They got to come back and the teacher's got to start from scratch. And so I think it's worth the conversation. I think it's an element that needs to be discussed. As I said before, you know, our system is not even designed to prepare a kid for a different society. It's preparing them for an old school society that we haven't had in hundreds of years in this country. We have not had an agrarian society, a farming agriculture society in hundreds of years in this country, yet that is how we structure our school day. We need to think about that, I would say. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.